I don't know if you've ever had something done anonymously for you, and um, you never really knew who to thank. You know, maybe there was a gift around the holidays, or maybe there was um, a special gift that was given in a time of need, and you know that somebody knew you were going through a hard time, and they have done something for you, and you really don't know who to thank. That's indeed the situation when we talk about um, Veterans Day. There are people who don't know your name, and you don't know their name, that have maintained your freedom. And um, it's a humbling thing to think about that. Um, You'll not be surprised to know that uh, sometimes the hardship of military life uh, causes people's marriages to be destroyed. So it's a hard life. Moving around every couple of years and um, kids getting pulled out of school and put into new schools, it's a very difficult thing that people have perhaps sacrificed um, their family, maybe their health, maybe even their very life for you. And so uh, we know God has, uh, God has blessed our church with a number of veterans. Um, most of them may have been in our first service here this morning. But when you don't know who to thank, you thank the people around you that are the closest thing uh, to, to uh, the people that have made that kind of sacrifice for you. So I don't know if we have anybody here in this service that has served previously, any of, any of our military forces. Uh, Ed and Joe and uh, Henry, if you guys would stand, we would like to just say, our appreciation from our congregation for your service to our country. We're very grateful. Very grateful. <clears throat> There's something right and mature about um, limiting your freedoms for the benefit of others. And while you may not ever have the opportunity to be a veteran from the armed services, um, every single one of you is a veteran of life. You know, sometimes we talk about having a hard week. Anybody had a hard week? You know, we just say, hey, we're really glad to make it to today. You know, we joke about it. Man, I didn't think I was going to make it through this week. It was a, it was a difficult week, man. It was just unrelenting. And um, in, in that spirit, I, you know, I want to let you know um, a special family in the life of our church that we're praying for um, that, again, is one of these guys who serves behind the scenes in a way that is uh, oftentimes not appreciated. But uh, Sammy Clowney and his sweet wife, Diane, are really dealing with a terrible situation. And um, the doctors, with the best of their uh, knowledge, have um, maybe given her 48 hours to to live. And um, there's just not much that they can do. And so uh, she has been a veteran of some really serious illnesses over a series of months. And while we have been very hopeful that that would be um, a situation from which she would recover, it appears in God's wisdom that it's not. And so on this day when we celebrate uh, veterans who are living and uh, who have made the ultimate sacrifice for us, it's appropriate for us to remember someone who uh, has loved and served our church in really a fascinating way. And so before we have the opportunity to look at God's Word, would you join me in a moment of prayer, please, for Sammy and for his wife, Diane. Father, it's a humbling thing to... um, Think about life. When we're young, it just seems like the days are long and time goes so slow. And by the time we get more mature and seasoned in life, the hands on the clock seem like they're spinning like a fan or a room. Boy, it's quick. And as we um, sit here this morning voicing our appreciation for people who have put on the uniform uh, to serve and to protect our country, God, we 
We're very grateful for those that have made those sacrifices that are necessary uh, for our country to maintain her sovereignty. And Father, in the same spirit, we're grateful for those who have served our church. And there are very few people who have served in the capacity that uh, Mr. Sammy's family has. And we pray that you will be with him in a very special way, that even right now, as we meet for worship, that he will sense uh, your love um, from us to him, that you'll touch him in a special way, that you'll be with Miss Diane, that you will comfort her in the way that only you can, and that they will know of our love and affection for them in this difficult time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> There's a statement that they say about Texas. We got any Texans in the house? I know we got at least one. Oh, two, El Paso, that's right. All right, you guys can affirm or deny this for me. They tell me that everything is bigger in Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. So I don't know if this was a Halloween stunt, but you can find this if you are a YouTuber. Anybody afraid of spiders? Don't lie in church. Hate those eight-legged creepy crawly things. Well, there is a dash cam video of a police who is has pulled a lady over for some kind of traffic violation, and his dash cam captures everything that I'm about to tell you. You can see his car and his dash cam, and he's up here, and he's talking to the lady, and you can see him kind of explaining some things, and she's in her car, and her emergency blinkers are on because she's pulled over, when mysteriously, out of the bushes on the side of the road comes a spider the size of a pony. Now, you could ride this thing. It's ginormous. And as people are watching this video that's gone viral, they're yelling because the, the spider is creeping up on the, the guy while he's writing the lady a ticket. And it's like he just takes a couple little steps and everyone's like, turn around! It's like a, a Halloween movie where everything's happening in slow motion. And you, uh, people who especially struggle with agoraphobia, fear of spiders, absolutely hate watching. It's a, like a minute-long video. And then what you realize is that there is not some freak of nature giant spider that's about to consume and devour this policeman. The spider is going across the windshield of the police car. And because of its proximity to the camera, it looks like King Kong spider, and he's about the size of the police officer who is a little further in the distance. And the trick is, you know, not only was it well-timed with Halloween, the trick is what you focus on really determines your perspective on life. <laughs> if you are focused, you know, out of focus on what's happening here, you are really going to have a terrible life because you're going to think that there are pony-sized uh, spiders that are out there to terrorize you. If you're focused on the right thing and you can kind of see through the sleight of hand that seems to be happening here, your perspective on life is going to be a little bit different. We're concluding a, a two-week series talking about the masks we wear and we kind of brought the diagnosis last week that the truth is we're not all that comfortable with ourselves. We're not all that comfortable with other people. We're not all that comfortable with God. So we fake it or we pretend or we deny or we compare. We try to make ourselves look better. And the challenge is the reason that we wear masks is clear as I can tell, as much as I have put thought into this, is the reason that you wear a mask in your relationships with others, your relationship to yourself and your relationship with God is you're too focused on yourself. Or you're too focused on other people. Oh, goodness, they might have something that I don't have. They might experience something that I might not experience. Oh, my goodness, on Facebook, their vacation looked cooler than my vacation. 
their backyard project, DIY project, looks so much better than mine. And so we look too much at ourselves, or we're too focused on others, and whoever the Joneses are, present company excluded, why in the world do we kill ourselves trying to keep up with them, trying to keep up with the Joneses? We, we make life, all of life, a competition where what I have is not enough. What I have is measured not on my own contentedness, but what I have is measured against what you have. And if you have something better than me, now I'm not happy with what I thought would make me happy. I now need a storage unit to keep stuff that I'll never use just so I can say that I have it. We've made life into a competition. And friends, listen, if you are a Christian, the competition today is a team sport, not an individual sport. We are to fight together, not against each other, to be faithful, to, to be authentic, to not wear masks in our relationship with each other or our relationship with God. And as we survey the New Testament, there's really one fantastic passage, just two quick verses that help us to find our focus. God, in Hebrews chapter 12, pictures all of life like a great struggle. Life is a struggle, specifically a race, a marathon. And in this uh, marathon that we call life, this struggle that we call life, he encourages us not to focus on self or others, but to focus on Christ. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which, so, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. Two simple verses, and as you try to figure out where the emphasis is in these verses. It looks like there's all kinds of verbs. Um, we're surrounded, we're laying aside, uh, we're uh, run, running with endurance, we're looking, um, we're enduring, we're despising. It's not true. There's, there's not a lot of verbs in this passage. There's really only one verb. Uh, everything else uh, that you find in this passage is actually a participle. Now, if you're not an English professor and it's been 15 years since you've had to do diagramming of sentences and you go, I don't even know what a participle is, let alone a dangling participle. A participle is a word that ends in ing. So looking to Jesus or fixing our eyes upon Jesus or um, laying aside, those are all participles that are acting upon the main verb. And the main verb is uh, one huge encouragement to run. Run! That is, the, that is the main verb, and it sounds like a command. It's not a command. There's, there's a big fancy word for this that if you want to impress someone at a dinner party, write this down. It's called a hortatory subjunctive, where it sounds like a command, but it's a, hey, you know, it's what you do before the football game. It's, all right, everybody, put your hand in, and, and while the other team on the other side is doing the exact same thing, you're like, on three, let's kill them. It, it's not a command. It's an, it, it is an excited encouragement. And so while it sounds like a command, let's run, it's really not a command. It's a, it is an encouragement to do the only thing that is a verb in this entire passage. Run! Everything else, all the other participles function as motivation or method for our running. Run! Let's motivate you. Let's tell you why you run. 
run, let's give you a method. Let's tell you how to run. Does that make sense? One thing that we're called to do, one thing that is put before us sounding like a command, run. And so the passage begins, understanding that that is the, the motive behind to get us to running in the race. It begins with motivation. And the motivation is this, that we can run this race because others have gone before. We see this clearly in verse 1. We can run because others have gone before. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's run. We're encouraged to run because there are other people. This uh, great cloud of witnesses, they have done it, and we are to be encouraged by their example, and we are to run well. Now, let me explain something here that I think we get wrong a lot of times when we talk about this passage. You have, if you've been in church for any period of time, you have probably heard a Bible study or a sermon on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. It's a beloved passage. Here's what we get wrong. <clears throat> Following the athletic analogy, we tend to think of ourselves kind of down in the starting blocks for the race, you know, getting ready to run. And we think of the great cloud of witnesses as a bunch of people in the grandstands around us, like they are spectators and what we're about to do is for their entertainment. Let me, let me stop there for a second and, and encourage you in your reading of the Bible, there's a very real danger. What we want to do when we read the Scriptures is we want to pull meaning out of the Scriptures, but frequently it's very easy for us to read our own experience into the Scriptures. We are a culture that loves entertainment. So I can understand why it's easy for us to look at this great cloud of witness and go, hey, up there in the uh, nosebleed section, I hope you're really impressed with what I'm about to do. And it completely changes the entire flavor of this passage, making it about you and about your performance. That's not at all what this passage is about. We are not their entertainment, and they are not passively spectators. The language says that we're in their midst. We're in their midst. Now, I guess... If you're in the stands and, 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 and or they're in the stands and you're on the track, there's a sense in which you're in the midst. That's not the idea. The idea is that you're in the midst of a cloud. So think about driving through the fog. You can see when the fog's in the distance, but when you're in it, it's all around you. So the, the, the better idea for, for what happens here <clears throat> is to not see um, the people in the stadium, up in the grandstand, as passive spectators, but to see them on the track. And so instead of seeing them as someone who is um, up there watching, it's better to understand them as members of a relay race. Ah, now this changes the whole flavor of what happens. Because what happens is whoever is the lead leg on the relay race takes the baton and runs. And he runs as fast as he can. And he hands off the baton to the next person in line if they take it. Very good. And now, guess what Kristen's job is? Her job is to take that baton and do what? The exact same thing that I just did. And then she, oh, look at this. We got it working. We're all the way down to Chase. Come on, Chase, run. Let's run. <clears throat> no, you can stop that. That's going to take, take too long. We're going to go all the way around the thing. The, the point here is that they are not passive, and we are not their entertainment. Um, they are in the race too. And what happens when you hand off the, what happens? Anybody here run relays? Okay, what happens once you hand off the baton? You're part of the, the race is not done, but you're part of the race is. So now you make sure you get out of the way of the racing track and you, come on, let's go, run, keep going. And so this, this whole entire thing turns it into a more corporate definition 
where it's not us and it's not them. They're on the field participating. They have run their part and they have handed it off. The word for witness, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. The word for witness is literally martyr, someone who has died for their faith. So the idea is that these people who are the great cloud of witness are not living anymore, but they are. we are in their midst because we're part of the faith family, and they are not, get this, they are not witnessing what we're doing. We are not the point of this passage. They are not witnessing what we're doing. They're witnessing to what God has done. That changes the, the flavor here because, again, the emphasis is not on us. It's, it's on them, but not even really on them. It's what God has done through them. He has, what has He done? God has seen them through. They have faithfully run their portion of the, of the course, and they are telling us by their example, hey, I know your lungs are exploding right now. But keep running. God will get you through. God has done it for us. We run our part of the course, so now it's, it's your turn. It's not what we see. Uh, it's not what we see in them that's, imp- it, it, that's important. Uh, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. It's not what they see in us that's important because they're not spectators. It's what we see in them when we see God's faithfulness at delivering them. So their faithful living, their faithful running is designed to inspire us. We're not entertaining them. God has put these human signposts along the highway of life to inspire us and say, hey, if they can do it, we can do it too. So we can run this race. We can be encouraged and motivated to run this race because others have gone before. And we need that inspiration. The, 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 the main reason that we need the inspiration is because we have a big struggle ahead of us. And you know what it's called? It's called life. It's called life. And says, uh, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And we are helped by viewing all of life like a great race. Viewing all of life like a great race. The tendency is to, to think, to view life as a big comfortable bed with a big cuddly pillow or a nice little relaxing armchair with a nice little glass of sweet tea. That's not life. That's not life. Life is, life is rough. Life is difficult. What do you do in a race? You don't kick back in your lazy boy. You don't cuddle up on your couch. You run. And so this word for race uh, that we see in, in our translation, let us run with endurance the race, the word for race is agon, which sounds an awful lot like agony. Now, if you've ever run, you know that to be true. Um, if you're going to rob me or if you are a bear, I am glad to run. Other than that, I don't know that I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to exert that kind of effort. Can I walk fast? Can I jog? Um, can, I, uh, can I do anything but, but run? And so it's, it's hard. I, I was, uh, and I don't mind running. It's just when I was in high school, I was a sprinter. And so mine were done quick. I loved it. You know, because like, all right, I, gotta, I get to sit around and watch everybody else, but I'm done in like 10 seconds, you know, the stuff that I do. And uh, there were a couple instances where we had some athletes on our team that didn't do their classwork for the week. And so I had to go from being a sprinter to running the mile. Let me tell you, I, I was used to running races, but the mile you run it just a tad bit differently than you run the 100-yard dash. So here was the thing that was great, okay? And this is what I tell, I'll tell my kids and my grandkids. Every race I won, I won for the first 100 yards. After that, by the time the race was halfway over, I was all the way done. My legs are jelly. My lungs are... <gasps> and I feel like I'm walking while these other jokers, who they're not super fast, but they look fast, 
because of how slow I'm going, because I'm not running the race the right way. That's why this word for race can also be translated as agony, struggle, or contest. Because we've had people faithfully go on before, we can, with endurance, we're not passively being patient. We are actively enduring. We can endure this contest. We can endure this struggle. We can endure this agony. And so we keep moving, not passively putting up with stuff, but actively moving forward. Here's the thing that's interesting about this race. It says that the race is set before us. If you've had a long day at work and maybe you've had to put some overtime in today and um, you're late coming home, and when you walk in the door, your, your, your spouse, as an act of love for you, has set the table. All, all that remains for you to do is sit down and enjoy it. This is not a cooperative effort. Um, he or she knew that you were late, went ahead and set everything out, got the food ready. There's nothing for you to do because everything has been established. Everything has been put in place. Everything has been set. We think that we get to choose the race that we're going to run. And it says that the race is set before us. You don't get to choose. And I know that speaks against your own sovereignty and self-will. But did you choose what parents you would be born to? Some of you are going, I could do that? Did you choose what your nationality or your race is? Did you choose what your physical characteristics were going to be? No, you don't get to choose anything of that. God does. And in the same way that we didn't choose any of this, we don't get to pick the course that we run in the race called life. Now, I don't do this often, but I, I, I have enjoyed a good mud run or a good um, obstacle course, Tough Mudder, Warrior Dash. And whenever I sign up for the race, you know what the first thing I like to do is the internet can be a wonderful thing. I like to go to the race website and I like to look at the map. Now, why do I like to look at the map? I want to see what, what do the obstacles look like, how many of them are there, how, are they all together, is it going to be mostly upper body strength, or is it going to be like they space them out and you have to run like five miles before you get to the first obstacle, do I need to, do I need to slow it down a little bit, save some energy so I'm ready for the obstacles, um, this gets increasingly important, what are the elevation changes, because um, like the flatter it is, the better I run, I don't know if that's true for you, but for me, the flatter the course, the better I run, um, what kind of twists and turns are there, what What's going on? There is no map to the race course of life, right? Would you like to know what's going to happen this week? For at least one person in our congregation, it means saying goodbye to their spouse, potentially. You want to know that? For other people, it could be a diagnosis of a terrible disease. It could mean a terrible financial reversal that you are completely not expecting. It could mean a car accident that changes things in the blink of an eye. We don't know. We don't want to know because we want to trust, we, we want to trust God. The point here is that we've got, a, we've got a race to run. We don't know what twists and turns are right around the corner for us. All we know is the Bible says, run. And here's how it can tell you to run because other people have. They, they've endured other things. They've endured different challenges. They have faithfully persevered, and you know what? You can too. That's not to belittle your individual circumstances. That's to say everyone has had junk to deal with when they run on the course, and they've made it. You can too. And so here's, here's the thing. When we run, 
When we run the race of life, we're not competing against each other. And I hate to see that, even among Christians, that like, you know, hey, um, how was your week? Well, spiritually, it was pretty good. I had my devotions three days a week. Oh, yeah, well, I had mine four. Well, I, 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 I prayed a lot more consistently this week. I probably prayed for, you know, two hours over the course. Oh, yeah, I did three. What is that? People competing against each other. And so one of the reasons that we wear masks in life is we really like works-based religion because then I can make myself look better than you. Oh, yeah, you, you, you've started giving. I've been giving for 20 years. Oh, yeah, you're going to start working with um, you know, our children? Well, if you were really spiritual, you'd work in the nursery because God knows changing diapers is the most sanctified thing that you can ever do. We, <laughs> and our nursery coordinators say, amen. Um, here's the challenge. There is a tendency for us to take whatever our laser-focused pet project is and to make it the most important thing. And all the other stuff that the church does is for all you immature people, because if you were really mature, you'd be doing what I'm doing. We make it a competition. And the truth is, we're in this together. Our job when we see people struggling is to realize we still got a race to run, but him finishing is just as important as me finishing. So I'm going to put my arms around him, and I'm going to slow down, and I'm going to speed it. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to speed him up, and we're going to finish this together. Now, when we see the finish line, if we want to kind of sprint it out as a friendly competition, that's a completely different thing. Let's go for it. Let's leave it all on the course. Let's go. But we're not competing against each other. We're not trying to beat each other. And, and, and the other thing is to run the race of life faithfully you do not have the strength to do it. You know that most unhappy people in the world are people who think they have their own resources and they're capable of doing this in their own power. Uh, they may put a mask on to make it look like they're successful and they're doing just great. It's not. It's fake. You cannot faithfully run the race of life by yourself. Trust me, you can't. It's not possible. So he talks about this contest, this agony, this, this challenge that we have before us. We see this encouragement to run because other people have run this race. And then he gives us two specific methods, two specific how-tos that are very simple, but also very good for us living an authentic Christian life. Number one, he tells us that we get ready to run the race by stripping down. We get ready to run the race by stripping down. And there are two things that we're told to put off. It says, in verse 1, let us lay aside, listen carefully, every weight and, so it's a linking uh, conjunction, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, or the sin which easily entangles. One is a sin, one is a weight. It's important for us to know. I don't know if there's any baseball players here, anybody play baseball, but when, you, um, when you're getting ready to get into the batter's box, there's a, there's a place before the batter's box. Batter's box, is, it's game time. I mean, you're ready. You're focused, you're, you're trying to see the spin on the ball, trying to figure if it's breaking, if you're stepping out, stepping in, what adjustments you need to make. But before you get in the batter's box, there's a circle. It's called being on deck. It means you're the next person in line. And one of the things that happens when you, um, when you uh, play baseball, you want, to, you want to be ready for when you get into the batter's box. And so you take a thing called a donut. It may have a more technical term. It's called a donut because it looks like a donut. You just don't want to try to eat it. It's a piece of metal that is weighted about maybe three and a half or four pounds. And you turn your bat upside down where the skinny part of the handle is, and you slide this thing on, and as it slides down to the fat part of the bat, it gets stuck. And you take your cleats and you tap it in, so that way it's on nice and tight. And then while you're on deck, you are swinging a bat 
with extra weight on it. And you look like a lumberjack. It's not fast. It's not pretty. It's, and the whole idea is you're not, there's no idea in the world where you're going to take that donut and step into the batter's box because the weight is good for practice. It's not good for competition. But the idea is by using the weight in practice, when you finally have the opportunity to get into the batter's box, the bat feels lighter and you're swinging just a little bit faster because now you're used to swinging it heavier and now that it's lighter, you have the opportunity to do that. I don't know if you've ever seen old videos of um, Muhammad Ali. That, that dates me maybe a little bit. Muhammad Ali was a boxer. He was the greatest, especially if you asked him, he would tell you. And he, he was uh, an incredible showboat. I mean, just awesome. And he would come, he'd come walking in. He had, he had fancy footwork. He'd get you watching his feet and he'd boom, you know, not rope-a-dope you to get it, get it good. But he would come in with his big fancy robe on and championship belts and he'd be, he'd be prancing down, you know, prancing down, getting to the, getting to the uh, ring and he's got a whole show. I mean, the pregame was as fun as the fight, you know, just watching him showboat around. But you know what? He always took that belt and that robe off by the time he got in the ring because it was fine for parading around. When it came time for business, you, you stripped down. If you're a track athlete and it's a chilly day like today, you've got your track pants on, but you don't run with your track pants on. You pull them off and now you're ready to run. The weights are not necessarily bad things but they are things that will slow you down in competition. And so as we're running the race called life, young people, one of the things I would tell you, there's a wonderful thing, at least on the iPhone, I don't know if they have it other, other, other places, called screen time. I just discovered this. Like you can actually find how much of your life you are wasting away that you will never get back, that you will stand accountable to God for like 15 hours of playing Farmville on your phone per day. There are things that are not necessarily bad, but they're just not good for game time. And so the Bible says, if there's weights, not sinful, but they're weights, get rid of them. It's silly to run with all this junk on. And if we're to get rid of the silly stuff, we're definitely, uh, we're definitely charged with getting rid of the sinful stuff. And here's, here's the thing that's interesting. The Bible talks about being filled with the Spirit. This is, that's, that's just something that Christians should do every day. And the reason that this is a kind of a reflexive, meaning I have to do it, and a continual verb, be, be filled, command, be, be being filled with the Spirit, is I don't know if you know what a, um, what a, uh, oh gosh, what is the, a colander? I was trying to think, the bowl with all the holes in it. So when you're doing pasta, you boil it, and then you dump it in, and all the water goes out, and it keeps the pasta. The reason you have to constantly be filled with the Spirit is you're like a colander. The minute you get filled up, you start leaking it right out. Like you can't keep it. Like you don't have enough fingers to plug all the holes, to plug all the holes in the colander to keep the water in. And, and, and you are like that colander. The minute you get filled with the Spirit, it starts draining. Like an hourglass, you can see it going down. I'm filled. I'm about 70% filled now. I'm about 50% filled here. No, I'm, I'm empty. Here's the thing that's amazing about those temporary moments when you're filled with the Spirit. You cannot be filled with the Spirit and, and sinning at the same time. In the same way, when we're focused on running, we cannot be, uh, we cannot be engaging in sinful things. It's mutually exclusive. You cannot actively be sinning and actively running the race the way that God says, uh, being filled with the Spirit at the same time. It's one or the other. It's almost like He says, hey, get rid of the track pants, get rid of the donut on the baseball bat, and guys, make sure your shoes are tied. There's sin out there that will trip you up. It will cripple your running. 
And here's the thing that I love too. If we're stripping down, if we're, if we're trying to get ready to run, you don't have the opportunity to wear a mask. You don't do that. You get people that wear these breathing masks that restrict their breathing to try to build their oxygen. They don't do that in the race. They do that for practice. When you strip down, you get rid of the mask. You don't have time for them. You don't have time to compare. So, oh, well, I'm not as bad as this person. You don't have time to pretend. Oh, no, I didn't, didn't do that. You don't have time to deny. There's no time for junk when you get in the race. You focus. And that's our third and final point. We don't just get ready to run by stripping down. We actually run the race with an explicit focus, an explicit focus. You see this in verse 2. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you're racing, you know for at least the winners, there's going to be a photo op at the end of the race, right? Man, that's what the winners do. They get, they get the medal, they get to stand up on the thing. When you're running the race, you're not pulling out a mirror and checking to see if there's anything in your teeth because you want to look good for the photo op at the end. When you're running the race, you're not constantly looking over your, your shoulder because as a racer, you're not looking at yourself. You're not looking at others. You're not looking behind. You're looking ahead. You're not waving to your family in the stands. That's not a good way to win. And so here's, here's another way that I think we sometimes get this passage wrong. It's sentimental. So it doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong. It's just not the emphasis. When it says our motivation is this great cloud of witnesses that are around us, a lot of times I hear people say, you need to run the race because you need to make your grandma proud. When you sin, your grandpa's sitting up there and he's watching you. Not only do I not think that that's biblical, that's not the point of the passage. So when the Bible says, let us run and let us be encouraged, let us be inspired, by the cloud of witnesses that we have, the point that it makes here when it says where our focus is supposed to be is our focus is not on the cloud. Our focus is on Christ. It's on Christ, not on the cloud. Appreciate their example. But if you put the, the, the crowd from the cloud in the place of Christ, you have just committed idolatry. Listen, I can appreciate your family lineage and that going back as far as you know, you're all Christians. That doesn't save you. And if your focus is on your lineage and not on Christ, you're not a Christian. You're just playing a dress-up game. You're coming to church, you're putting the tie on, you're looking good. But if your focus is not on Christ, you are a traditionalist. You're not a Christian. You're holding on to the form of godliness, but you're denying its power. You're trying to live within your own power. What the, the Bible says is only possible when the Spirit indwells us. And so Christ gets special emphasis because what it says here, He's the author, the originator, the founder of our faith. He is the perfecter and the completer. This means that he is, uh, I love this, the trailblazer, both in being the source of faith, like we have faith in Christ is what saves us. He is the source. He's the model of faith. Think for a second what Jesus had to endure in the race that he had to run. The Bible says that uh, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that he could give us the righteousness of God. Jesus became the embodiment of all of the world's sin. So much so that the Father turned, uh, his, turned his, his gaze away. Jesus cries out, My Father, my Father, why have you denied? Why have you turned your face away from me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you looked away from me? He experiences a momentary lapse in fellowship with the, 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 the Father that he has existed with from eternity past. 
He has borne the sins of the world. Yet it says that he could endure the cross. The only man who's never sinned becomes sin, not for his own sake, but for the sake of people that would believe in him. And he did it for the joy set before him, that there was a reward so powerful that he could go through the most difficult thing in life. And we don't have nearly the load that he did. You understand that, right? That is not minimizing the disaster and the tragedy and the inconveniences and the hardships that you have faced. Not at all. But you have not borne the sins of the world. As a matter of fact, some of the hardships that you face are probably because of your own dumb decisions. Happens for me. I have to bear the consequences of bad stuff. That doesn't make me a martyr. That just makes me a bad decision maker sometimes. And sometimes you go, oh, this is my cross to bear. No, it's not. You just made a dumb decision. Pray about it next time. Do what the Bible says. Honor the Lord. Maybe you won't deal with that. And so for, for us who do not bear the load that he did, we should be encouraged by his faithful example. If he can run the most difficult course and do it by faith, looking at uh, honoring his Father, then we can, do the, we can do the same. Because by looking to him, we look away from everything else. We can become single-minded in our, our focus. And friends, here's a hard truth. Fellowship is a sweet thing, especially when we are all running well together, right? On any given Sunday, are we all running well together? No. In one of the biggest discouragements that can happen in your life are other Christians. Do you know that? I just said that in church. Okay, no lightning bolt. One of the biggest discouragements to you running well might be the person sitting next to you. So if you're not going to wear a mask, who are you going to choose to focus on? Are you going to be vain and focus on yourself? Are you going to be so concerned about what other people think about you that you're going to be focused on them? Or are you single-mindedly going to be focused on Christ and say, if you're going to run with me, we got to run this race together. If you're going to hinder me, ain't nobody got time for that. We've got to be focused. And that may sound like a hard truth, but when we look to him, we look away from everything else. Jesus kept his eye on the prize of obeying his Father. And in the same way, so are we. So here's the question for you. What are you running after today? If, if uh, God intends to use this analogy as to, to ask us the question, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing? What are you complaining about? What are you longing for? What are you running after? Is it the applause of men? Is it complete and total vanity that you're totally focused on self? Are you trying to keep up with the Joneses? Or are you worried about what other people think? Or are you more concerned with what Jesus thinks and honoring his good name? Because if your focus is anywhere else, anywhere else, it might not happen right now, but you will stumble. You will fall. So today, there are, there are some of you, I'm sure, that are here that if you were honest with yourself, you said, man, I don't even think I'm in the race. You're in the race. The only question is whether you're running well or whether you're running poorly. You don't, have a, you don't have a choice. If you are breathing, you are in the race. You just may not realize it. You may not be availing yourself of all of the resources. You don't have a choice. There is a lot to lose. There's nothing to gain by not running well. Today, I would encourage you to think about what it means to have a relationship with Christ and to ask for help. Because I can tell you, you don't have the resources in and of yourself to do what God wants you to do. You need His Word. You need His Spirit. You need other believers. 
And maybe that can be our gift to you today, is to tell you what it means to, uh, in fact, indeed, authentically, sincerely, have a relationship with Christ and get in the game, get in the race. Some of you have been on the course for a long time, and you are exhausted. You're about three-quarters of the way done, and uh, you thought you were saving some in the tank, but now that you've actually gotten to this point, you do not know if you have it in you to make one more lap. You have left it all on the course, and you are spent. My encouragement to you, don't stop now. You are so close. You are so close. Don't turn away. You will have eternity to regret a momentary decision for a moment's fleeting comfort. When you will have eternity to celebrate God giving you the power to finish what you don't think you can finish. Listen, let me suggest, if you're that far down the race and you're feeling tired, you're exactly where God wants you to be. Because when you come to the end of yourself, you have the opportunity to experience His empowerment in a way that you can't when you're well-rested, well-fed, well-hydrated. When you're pooped, then you get to experience His power in a different way. Press on for the glorious prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus because there is nothing that is worth but your diversion. For some of you, you're running well. Maybe you're not as far down the road. Maybe you still have a little bit of that kind of young enthusiasm, that energy. You're running well. My encouragement to you is keep your eyes on Christ. You know, you don't have to be running badly to trip or fall. There are Olympic athletes. You can can Google it. They have trained all their life for this, only to fall flat in their face in front of the entire world. Uh, they, they, They are a select percentage of a percentage of a percentage of the human population that have have trained their entire life, and they fall. So if you're running well, don't allow that to puff you up with pride. Ask God for the grace to stay humble and realize that it's not impossible for you to faint or to trip. Every single one of you, friends, this morning are in a race. The question is, how are you running? What are you running for? And if you're running for anything but Christ, you are running for the wrong thing. And so if we're going to live authentic lives, if we're going to be, um, if we're truly going to be his disciples, we lose the mask because if a mask interferes with us focusing on Christ, we don't want it. We want to strip down. We want to remember those who have gone before and be encouraged by their example. And we want to run with endurance the race that is set before us. I hope that that is your prayer and ambition this morning. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you will use this word to encourage us. It's um, sometimes easier for us to hear the diagnosis that we're fake and that we don't authentically live for you than it is to hear, hear the, um, the prescription. Strip down. Focus on. Run hard. Be encouraged. But yet, Lord, we need this. If we have any desire to worship you truly and authentically from the deepest part of our heart, Um, We worship you by running well, running the race that you have set before us, realizing your smile upon our efforts and your energy for our efforts, and running in a way to please you. Father, I pray today that you will encourage our hearts to run after you well, to recognize that you'll give us the power to do it, and that today, if we don't know Christ, that whether it's the person sitting on their pew next to them or whether it's one of our church leaders, that they will ask the question, what does it mean? 
I don't feel like I have any power. I don't feel like I have any relationship. And I want that. I don't want my life to be meaningless. I don't want my life to count for nothing. I pray that today can be the day that they understand what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.